Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Chumbawamba. Remember Chumbawamba? Yeah. Chumbawamba. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by the Big Kahuna Burger. Make sure your last meal is a tasty burger at Big Kahuna Burger. Welcome, everybody. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is The Pestle, where we like to talk about movies, not just review them, but try to break them down, get a little bit of movie-making magic insight, hopefully. If you haven't seen today's show, we're going to be doing V for Vendetta, which normally I'll give you the rundown, (laughs) but you should know that if you haven't seen it, go watch it first because there's going to be hella spoilers all throughout this um, but in addition to that, I'm sure there's probably going to be a lot of other stuff. Um, this is a little atypical for what we do. I think I'm projecting here maybe. Why not? Uh, well, okay. So we're going to be talking about Guy Fox and the overture of 1812 and what is V for Vendetta really all about, which is going to start to invoke the, uh, yeah. the topics of terrorism, patriotism, and political ideologies of the time, a lot of other stuff. There's just no way to know where this is really going to end up. I'm going to definitely, on my side of the fence, <laughs> going to try to keep it as topical and relevant to V for Vendetta as possible. Um, and hopefully... Not have to pull me back too much. Well, hopefully we don't ruffle too many feathers because we try to maintain a pretty neutral posture here. Sure, yeah. Um, but with a film like V for Vendetta, I'm not sure how much you can talk about it without discussing politics. And there's just an inherent, I guess, in once you start talking politics, things get political. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just the way that goes. And so I, well, I, I feel like, I feel like this movie can expose a lot in, in people. Totally. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, uh, so this is, this is one of my favorite movies. Really? Yes, and it was my favorite movie for the longest time. Um, and, you know, when I went back and watched it again, it might still be. But it's, it's definitely my top three, for sure, for sure. I just love it so much. It speaks to me in so many ways. I mean, you know, and it I, I don't necessarily mean the, the political side of it. I just mean the way it's shot, the way he, uh, Hugo Weaving um, portrays V. I, I mean... You know, we talked about it. Mm-hmm. It, you know, acting is hard enough, but acting with a mask on, we never see his face. Mm-hmm. So, but you do see his face. He's acting through the mask, and and that's a whole nother level. And and I don't, I think that that went maybe a little unrecognized um, uh, when this movie came out because. You know he's so known for the Matrix and mm. and, and everything. It, I, I think that that this was kind of a probably a departure for him you know, to to play a role like this that was you know very hidden. You know because he's so used to like being like the the main dude. Um, but the writing is incredible, like incredible, uh, and the the storyline and is is amazing and it weaves in a lot of different stuff um the acting is is some of the best that i've seen in a long time uh natalie portman is amazing in this film yeah. uh and i forgot how good she was because it'd been so long since i'd seen it and when i watched it again i was like 
completely moved by her. And I've always thought I've always been a fan of Natalie Portman. I've always thought she's amazing. Yeah, ever since the professional I've been in her camp. Oh, totally, totally. Um, But but this for some reason, and maybe it's just because I love the movie so much. But I don't know. I I feel like this is such a great role for the type of actress that she is. Um, and it just, she, she sings off the, off, off the screen. Like everything that every time you see her, you're just like drawn into her and yeah, she's pretty and everything, but it, even when they shave her head, like all these things, it, 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 go on. (laughs) Sorry. I just can't, I can't put it into words, but it's just, it's a really, really great movie. It's, It's always been one of my favorites since I saw it. And, um, um, it's very inspiring you know completely that, agree i mean i don't disagree yeah. with any of that that's, yeah i think that's right on the mark and we'll definitely be talking about probably all those things yeah <laughs> well let's give a little synopsis here cool um all right in a future british tyranny uh, a shadowy freedom fighter known only as the alias of v plots to overthrow it with the help of a young woman directed by James McTeague, based on the graphic novel by Alan Moore, screenplay by the Wachowskis, and it's starring Hugo Weaving as V, Natalie Portman as Evie, John Hurt as Chancellor Sutler, Stephen Fry as Dietrich, or Daddy Dietrich, and Stephen Rhea as Finch. We're off to blame in this just too much proved that with devotion's visage and pious action, we do sugar or the devil himself. I can assure you, I mean you no harm. Who are you? Who? Who is but the form following the function of what, and what I am is a man in a mask. Well, I can see that. Of course you can. I'm not questioning your powers of observation. I'm merely remarking upon the paradox of asking a masked man who he is. Oh, right. But on this most auspicious of nights, permit me then, in lieu of the more commonplace soubriquet, to suggest the character of this dramatis persona. Voila! In view, a humble vaudevillian veteran, cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate. This visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the vox populi, now vacant, vanished. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition. The only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta held as a votive not in vain, for the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and the virtuous. <laughs> Verily, this vicious soise of verbiage veers most verbose, so let me simply add that it's my very good honor to meet you, and you may call me V. Are you like a crazy person? I am quite sure they will say so. <laughs> so good. Are you like a crazy person? Are you like a crazy person? <laughs> oh, I wish my British accent was better. I know, same. <laughs> I will, so before we jump into all the fun, uh, one of the things that I thought was really cool, I didn't know before, is that James McTeague, who directed this, was actually the first AD on the Matrix trilogy. What? Yeah, so 
the Wachowskis, having finished the Matrix trilogy, were like, you know what, we want to take a step back from directing and just be producers and give you a shot. Wow. How freaking cool is that, you know? Because the script was actually written before The Matrix, but they couldn't get the budget. Uh, this ended up being a $54 million budget, but it's just amazing that, that they did that. And I think there's even a, a little bit of a homage in here whenever he's walking into the, the BTN network um, and he enters through into the room and they pan up from the boots and the coat opens to reveal his bombs and weapons. I think that's a little bit of a homage to oh, yeah. the Matrix, the, the Matrix. first Matrix, right, where he walks yeah. in, at the end into the building and mm-hmm. he puts his gun bag through the... Uh, <laughs> the metal detection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought that's so freaking cool that they did that. Yeah. I... I mean, I love these guys. I really love the Wachowskis a lot, even if every one of their movies I'm not a huge fan of. I'm a huge fan of them, and so much of what they've done has resonated really, really strongly with me. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that they did it once again with V for Vendetta. Yeah. Um, I, that's just so cool to give a guy a shot, God. you know? I mean, he's gone on to do pretty well for himself. Um, it's not like that was just, you know, one and done. He did... Uh, Ninja Assassin afterwards. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that. Which pretty good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean it's it's bloody and it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Yeah, um, very actiony. Uh, but he's done a ton of stuff besides. I I don't know if he's had any blockbusters on the scale of V for Vendetta. If you would even consider V a blockbuster, I think it's been it's become kind of a cultural touchstone, but maybe not necessarily a blockbuster. Uh, but he's done a bunch of episodes of Sense8, which is also a Wachowski affair. Um, and Survivor? I don't know what that is. The TV show? <laughs> no. <laughs> which was my very first thought, of yeah. course. Um, yeah, some something I've never heard of anyway. Okay. Um, but And The Raven with John Cusack. Hmm. But a bunch of things. you got some new stuff coming out. But uh, yeah, that's just amazing. And it really speaks to them as people <laughs> yeah absolutely like that's that's someone's dream came true you know yeah uh, hey here's 50 plus million dollars and an incredible script yeah, i was just gonna say it, more than the than the money here's the story God. you know it's a great story and you know they're giving it to him which by the way uh so this was based on alan moore's graphic novel uh, his novel was more attacking, I think, uh, Margaret Thatcher um, and and her parliament and style of governing. Um, I think I might be meshing it up a little bit, but the this isn't this version is not attacking Britain. It's attacking uh, America. America, and we'll get into that. But he he hated it. But at this point, I'm more of a fan of. Alan Moore, uh, the artist, than I am of him, the art appreciator. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, he didn't like the movie? He hates everything. He, I don't think anybody can make anything that he likes. Oh, really? He's <laughs> like, one of those? Yeah, he hated uh, his interpretation, or the, uh, the what's what's the other big one, The Watchmen. Oh, um, yeah. Which He did I, The Watchmen, too? Yeah, he created the graphic novel. Okay. And I haven't read the graphic novel, but I really love the movie. Um I can understand people saying, oh, it's a little too much candy or whatever. That's fine. I, maybe it's not the auteur's movie, but it's, I still think, you know, a, a 
an excellent work, and it's probably the last good thing Zack Snyder really made. Um, 300 and mm-hmm. uh, The Watchmen. Right. And so, yeah, it's just funny to hear Alan Moore critique work because at some point, do you just like anything? Yeah. Yeah. I know those guys. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I think that's one of the most amazing things that I learned about this. The other thing is learning more about the gunpowder plot mm-hmm. um, because that's how the film opens with introducing us to Guy Fox. Uh, which is the mask that V is wearing the entire time. And I don't know if they modeled that off of something other than just the general idea of Guy Fox and maybe some uh, historic literature, um, but that largely becomes the the face we associate with V. And every time he's talking, it sounds humorous because he's also got this huge smile on his face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so there's a certain level of irony or... Uh, uh, condescension that goes along with that, depending on what he's saying at any given time. So one thing that I, I, I don't know is if he was actually speaking under the mask or if he did the VO, uh, with the mask on, because I'm, I'm telling you, it sounds muffled enough to where it, it's not just like us talking into a microphone. No, you know, no, there's you, something between his mouth and whatever is picking, whatever is miking his his voice. And I don't know, I don't know if it's him doing it right then, or if it's him doing it uh, in a booth later on after the acting. I don't know. I will look it up, okay. but I I think it's probably a mesh. I would bet that scene that we just heard was probably him with the mask on, but doing it. Uh, in ADR, yeah, uh, additional booth, dialogue yeah. replacement, yeah. Uh, so anytime you 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 do ADR or people talk about looping, um, that means you're replacing dialogue on scene, which is different from voiceover. Voiceover is just something that you, you're going to have to go into the booth regardless. You don't capture mm. VO on set. That's not how that works. Um, so voiceover and ADR are different. Though I've heard people you know confuse them, and I usually just politely smile and nod my head. <laughs> but so ADR sometimes happens, right? If it's a rain sequence um, or maybe there's just ambient noise that's really interfering with picking up clean audio. And it sucks because if you're not getting it there at the moment that someone's acting it out, you can lose a lot in the transition to the booth because you're removing all the circumstances, all the all the feedback you're getting from another actor and all the costume that you're in and all the work you put in that day into getting into character and being on set and surrounding yourself with everything that goes into it. Whereas in ADR, maybe you just woke up, had a bowl of Cheerios and you walked into the the booth, you know, sounds like a good life. (laughs) It's not bad, but it does lose something in the artistic translation. And so I know most actors really hate having to do ADR because of that very reason. Matthew Fox, who uh, was one of the lead characters in Lost, ABC's Lost um, show, which I was a big fan of at the time, he was especially, he he hated a lot. Our friend Patrick uh, used to run ADR sessions for those guys in Hawaii. And oh wow, he would that. talk about how much he hated going in there. And he's like, man, it's just not going to be the same. I'm, I can't give you what I gave you that day. Uh, and so it's always something to be careful of. Having said that, 
Hugo Weaving lost nothing. Like zero. If, if he did that in ADR, which I would gamble that he did, my God. He, yeah. He put the mask back on, which to your point, it sounds muffled. It sounds way too true for it to not be on. Um, and then to step into the booth and freaking kill it. I mean, so one perfect example of it is when they finish watching uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. Mm-hmm. And the 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 movie's over, and it's, he switches it over to TV, and they see that what's his name was murdered. Uh, oh, Gordon. No, or, no, oh, Pros, oh, oh, Prothero. Prothero was yeah. murdered, and uh, Evie asks V if he killed her, if he, if he killed Pros, uh Yeah, Prothero. Prothero, thank you. If he killed Prothero, and he says, he says yes. And at that moment, like just that one, that one response, it, I don't see his smile in that mask. Right. I, I like feel the seriousness of his response. He just like flat out. Yes. And I'm not looking at a smile in that mask. I'm like feeling the, I'm owning the fact that I just killed this guy and I want you to know that I did. Like, I'm not holding back. I'm telling you the truth. Here's truth. And it's very serious. It's a very serious moment. It's like one of the first really serious moments that we see V in. Yeah, know? because even when he's rescuing Evie, uh, he just kind of mildly beats those guys down. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure they still had skull fractures, you know, but I didn't get the impression that they were dead. Yeah. Um but there, not only did he, he kill someone, he went into his home to do it. Yeah. And he, uh, yeah. So in that response, I don't know, that just response was so good. And then when he's really emotional at the end, when uh, Evie leaves mm. and he gets really mad and upset, like you feel that you, you can see it through the mask, you know, you can see it in the mask and I don't know how he did it, but man. He's amazing. Hugo Weaving is definitely one of the undersung actors um, of our time because what he's it, it's a theatric performance, right? That's usually a really bad thing for, for film is to bring theater into a film mm-hmm. that leads to a lot of overacting and just there's no nuance or texture to your performance at that point. Yeah. You're just displaying everything as loudly and clearly, but he has to do it and it fits his role because he is wearing a mask and he's wearing all this garb. And so you do expect some theatrics out of him. Uh, so his background in that yeah. really contributes to, especially the, the, the V intro, right? Where he's uh, pretending he's, you know, I'm a, Oh yeah. Matt villains. Yeah. The and, villains or yeah, yeah. heroes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just using all of that body language to help, to help that. And I think in that moment in particular, he drains all of that and he's just sitting upright and he's not doing anything loud and theatric and over the top. He's just very blunt and to the point, which isn't always his way. Uh, yeah. But, and I mean, uh, maybe for a lot of the movie, but certainly not at that point because there's no music in his voice anymore. It's all baritone. And he's like, Let's have it out. Yeah. <laughs> Let's deal with mm-hmm. the truth because that's very core to his character anyway. Um, he uses words and he talks about, oh, the uh, the line with Evie, right, where she talks about her father taught her that actors in movies use 
lies to reveal truth. Right. Whereas uh, maybe the government uses the the truth to conceal lies, and it's just very indicative of him and his character for that moment to not flinch at all. Because you look at what the government did, you know, the chancellor had announced that he had a heart attack. He yeah. Wasn't, he wasn't murdered. He had a heart attack. Right. And so they're constantly concealing the the reality mm-hmm. of the situation. Um, and we don't have to jump into that just yet. But Hugo Weaving is so incredible because he does embody all these things. And the origin, originally, James Purefoy was was cast. And they did, I, I think, a couple weeks of production even. Oh with him on set and before he bowed out and he bowed out. Yeah. He bowed out is, and there's, there's conflicting reports on why part of it. The, the initial run was he couldn't act with the mask on. He was struggling conveying what he felt and, uh, his character. And so he just decided it was better to not do it. Even a couple weeks in, which I have a lot of respect for. Yeah. But I think later on, publicly, it was like, no, 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 I had to leave for personal reasons, which is fine. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. For personal reasons? I wasn't there, but I, I, I would certainly that. be understanding if acting with the mask on was a little too much to overcome. Yeah. Because James Purefoy doesn't have quite the musicality in his voice the way Hugo Weaving does. If you go back and even watch The Matrix, where I think I would have butchered the role as uh, Agent Smith, like oh. that, yeah. it would have been flat. I would have been super flat because of how hard it is to be an emotionless agent conveying anything. <laughs> like, yeah, they have goals and motivations, and they have a lot going on inside them. Even though from a actor's perspective you might look at it and say no he's just a machine right or an audience perspective anyway but he has so much musicality in his voice that he can carry a lot yeah so okay what is it <laughs> you're you, so apprehensive i am i really am <laughs> it's all right you don't have to be scared what what <laughs> what do you think the uh, the message is what do you walk away from this movie feeling and thinking well you know, you, you watch, you watch a movie like this and you see, you know, what 2005 is when it was released. So it's supposed to be released actually November 5th of 2004, I believe. Uh, but it, it was delayed, uh, due to post-production until St. Patrick's day, 2005. Yeah. Would have been awesome. Yeah. That would be really cool. Uh, so, you know, a movie like this, I, I feel like, uh, like I mentioned before, kind of exposes you, whether you're conservative, liberal, it, 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 it kind of exposes you because, you know, I like to believe even if you, uh, it, whether you agree with, with a party or not, or you agree with a person or not, uh, uh, politically or regarding our government, that those people still in their own minds are logical. They're making logic, what they believe are logical decisions, right? Therefore, if we're all quote unquote logical in our own brains, you know, like I, my, my parents are, 
are Trump supporters. Uh, I'm not. So, but every time I talk to my dad about it, he has a logical response. What he believes is a logical response. And I have a logical, what I believe to be a logical response to that. So if you think about that, then we're all kind of on a, a level playing field, right? And then you watch a movie like this and you, and you see, you see the government that is in place and it's an extreme one. I'll give you that. It's an extreme one. It's very much like World War II Nazi Germany. Um, and this was filmed in Germany, by the way. Was it? Perfect. And so you, you, you have all these logical people that believe different things watching this one movie and, and you, there's an extreme government and you see these, these, uh, this one guy who's a rebel. Just one. Just one guy. And then and you start you start to like this guy, right? Even though he's doing bad things, quote unquote bad things. He's killing people, right? But there's something about there's something about liking that guy, whether you're you're conservative or you're liberal, liking that guy doing what he's doing to overthrow a government. Ex- kind of exposes that it exposes something a little bit. And I think that, that people should probably watch this with that in mind, like, um, thinking, why do I feel connected with this guy? Why do I want this guy to win? Why do I want this guy mm-hmm. to actually blow up the building in real life? You, you know, I would, I would argue probably that definitely, uh, most conservatives, especially a lot of liberals too, but most conservatives would not be rooting for this guy. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but just, we're put in this place where, where we were able to see the kind of behind the scenes of how a government like that operates. Right. You know, this, this tyrannical leader and, um, all of his minions and there, there, there's all these like, dark secrets and everything, which honestly in this country, we all know happens in our government. We absolutely, whether it doesn't matter what party you're for, you know, the government hides stuff. Um, so there's a lot of parallels with today's modern government. So when you think, you think about that, you should just ask yourself a little bit, why do I logically, why do I go, why am I supporting this character? in doing what he's doing. And I would say, I mean, I would say a lot and I'm probably going to say a good half of it. Okay. But the inspiration of this film and of the, the graphic novel, I would have to imagine stems out of 1984, the George Orwell novel. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the plays are taking out of this playbook out of that. And I think part of it, the very first immediate reaction that people have is that, one, the the Nazi ties in imagery in this film are so strong that you can't help but root against it. And then on top of that, even though they're calling it Britain in Parliament, you still get a very heavy uh, Hitler vibe out of the chancellor. And especially the way he's presented is very 1984 um, on the big screen. You know, it's very big brother uh, 
terminology and technology that's happening, uh, the the mass surveillance state that everyone is in, the uh, the kind of the G-men uh, aspect, especially in that opening scene, right, where she's out just trying to walk the street, but there's a curfew in effect. Now these there's these two or three guys that are hemming her in, and she's getting ready to, to tell them off, and then suddenly she finds out, oh, these are government men. Now she's really afraid. It's amazing to shift in fear. She yeah. was already afraid, like, hey, leave me alone. And then suddenly she finds out these guys work for the government, and the, the fear, like, triples. And suddenly she's like, oh, not only should I be afraid of these guys, but there would be no retribution against them if they were to hurt me. Um, and, and in fact, they would maybe be metals. Who, who knows? I'm, I'm projecting there. But what we can look at is even though there's a lot of Nazist imagery, they're tying that really heavily into the George Bush 2000s. Um, but to your point, even outside of that, it still has relevance even through the Obama administration and through, I'm assuming, Trump's administration as well. Uh, and the way, the reason I would tie this very directly is not only because of when it was, it was released in 2005 being post 9-11 and, and post the, uh, the war in Iraq and a lot of issues with habeas corpus, uh, with the Patriot Act and rendition, um, so many things, but even something as simple as the, the symbol of the building that is first detonated. The very first building he blows up, which was a, I, I think that was a the old Bailey. The old Bailey. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that is. It was a justice, a, uh, like a courtroom or yeah. some kind of justice a courthouse building. or something. Yeah. And so, their response to that, the government's response to that, was to call it terrorism, uh, which is interesting because, and this is something that is very applicable to today's environment um, from Bush to now is that terrorism by definition isn't what most people think it is. The, the point of terrorism isn't to cause terror per se. It's and the, the Oxford Dic- uh, dictionary definition is the unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians in the pursuit of political aims. And so normally the way that translates is let's look at nine 11 and an actual act of terrorism they, being Osama bin Laden's crew, Al-Qaeda, uh, flew buildings into the Twin Towers, killed a lot of people. Flew planes into the Twin Towers. Right. Uh, sorry. <laughs> My thinking is like five steps ahead right now, so forgive me if I mm-hmm. butcher some things. Um, but it wasn't just to kill people. It wasn't just because they hated America for our freedoms. That's what usually gets touted, and it's incorrect, because what he was actually trying to do is pressure the government and the citizens in a number of ways. Uh, for one, if you can entice us into a protracted battle overseas, then that can start to drain our money the same way that they drained uh, Russia's money, the Soviet empire fighting in Afghanistan. It became a financial drain that eventually busted the Soviet empire. They thought, hey, we can do something similar with the United States in order to get them out of our country. Um, there's an amazing work called uh, Dying to Win, The Strategic Logic of Suicide Terrorism, written by Robert Pape, which is an incredible book filled with amazing research. And he talks about the very method of suicide terrorism is, is a means of 
trying to get a democratically elected government out physically the troops from that government out of a territory that's uh, believed to be theirs, whoever this suicide terrorist may be. And the biggest, and, and it's not, people want to make it about religion, which is one of the things that ties this film ties into uh, that ideology with the Quran. It became the very reason that Gordon, uh, the entertainment host, his right. friend uh, was killed was because he owned the Quran. And he talks about uh, the fact that the overflow into Britain was an extension of what the United States was doing. Our war against terror eventually flooded into them because they were, they were allies there were U.S. allies in Iraq and Afghanistan and were contributing. And they've had their fair bout of suicide or at least terrorism. I can't remember if they've been actually hit by suicide terrorists or not. Um, I know Spain was. They had uh, train bombings in Madrid. And that eventually led to them withdrawing from the war on terror, quote unquote. Um, and so it has very practical applications and none of which or uh, little of which has to do with religion. Religion does play a part, but not in the way we think. There's usually a religion difference between the two countries because you can look at countries like uh, Sri Lanka had the the biggest suicide terrorists of all time were fighting in Sri Lanka. And this war was between Hindus and Buddhists and Hindus were trying to get uh, Buddhists to withdraw from their land uh, because they thought, hey, this is our section of country, uh, and you can look them up. That's the Tamil Tigers is what they were called, and they actually invented the suicide terrorist vest. And, and so you can see a lot of this stuff is totally creeping into this film because the government's initial reaction to that bombing of that building, the Old Bailey, was that this – this is the work of a terrorist is what they were saying internally. But externally, they, they called it uh, a demolition, a, a surprise demolition. Right. Yeah. And so it became the war of words, which this entire film is really about as much as there's violence. There's a battle of ideas and between ideologues. And V is the ultimate person and, and figure to, that is constantly communicating with words, because he was created by the government through the Lark Hill, whatever, asylum or uh, the, experiments. the experiment. Yeah. And he's gifted with words. And that's the real use of persuasion is in words. It's not in, in violence and intimidation. Um, words are the way for meaning and truth is what he's saying. And it's interesting that the government uses TV to distribute their lies while V co-ops it in a tit-for-tat method by distributing, you know, his his pledge to yeah. the people that in one year, you know, I'm going to be back and we're going to have a chance to start something new. Um, I mean, he says it, he says the meaning of the, of the whole movie in one line that, um, that people shouldn't be a bit afraid of their government. Government should be afraid of their people. And all too often it is the other way around where everybody's afraid of your government because they can come in and take whatever they want, whenever they want. And, uh, and there's nothing that you can do about it. 100%. Because eventually, and I think, uh, another side movie to talk about would be like Braveheart because that's what William Wallace effectively is saying is that governments don't exist to uh, 
people don't exist to serve their governments, but government exists to serve their people. Right. And that gets lost through emotional creation of unjust laws because everything that was happening in this world was an extension of the war on terror. And the war on terror that Bush started and dubbed, W-dubbed, <laughs> was supposed to be against you know the bad people who hate us, which just became more war and more and more war and more bombings of countries that have nothing to do. What are we doing in Yemen? What are we doing in Oman? You know, what are we doing in all these countries that we have no business uh, fighting in? And it's all in in the pursuit of destruction of an idea, which ideas are bulletproof. You can't destroy ideas. And that's all terrorism really is, is an idea. And the only way you can fight terrorism is... One, by listening to the ideas that these people are trying to communicate to you doesn't mean you bow down, bow down to them. Um, but it means you try to understand what is at play here, what's at stake, and how can we get what we want without kowtowing to terrorists. But you do have to understand what it is that they want in the first place. And so Bush, through the Patriot Act, started doing some really uncivil things. And that included things like rendition and the label of terrorist suddenly became the absolute worst thing in the world. And it was there's there's no rigorous action that judicially it took in order to slap that label on somebody. Yeah. And so what that meant was we have laws in place, whether you're going to talk about internationally with the Geneva Convention um, or you're going to talk about internally or you talk about cruel and unusual treatment of prisoners and every which way you cannot torture people. But what we were doing, and I say we uh, as the United States, uh, I'll own it as being a citizen of, of my country. We were slapping this label on people who we we didn't try. We didn't convict. And suddenly they're being peoples of rendition, not persona non grata, there suddenly, and rendition is the idea that we have all these laws that prevent torture and harsh treatments against prisoners, even people that we quote-unquote call terrorists, and you put them in a land that isn't your own, where they have less strict laws, even though it's still, you're still breaking the law. You're just trying to find these legal loopholes um, that you can try and exploit. Uh, even though, okay, um, <laughs> but that's, I think that was a lot of what was going on in V for Vendetta. You're, yeah. they're exploiting some of these ideas of, uh, Guantanamo Bay, you're, you're housing people. And maybe that's what Lark Hill was all about. Because as you start to see Evie later on, she gets captured and it's a really interesting process because when she gets taken, uh, it's when they're invading to get Gordon. They're mm-hmm. taking him, and it's a it's really a flashback to what Evie experienced when she was losing her parents, right? But when she when her parents get taken, she she screams and she she gets pulled and discovered. This time she doesn't. Gordon gets taken. She holds her composure, and she gets taken prisoner by V, um, which we don't know at the time. And spoiler, so, yeah, <laughs> and so. At that point, there becomes a systematic freeing of Evie, her mind and her emotions. And it's really interesting 
definitely read 1984 because some of these interrogation techniques are very much in play in 1984. But all she has to do is betray V and she can go. And it's at that point because she's still on the side. They shave her head. They take her clothes. They begin to get on a, Which they did in real time, by the way. Yeah. They shaved her head. Oh, which was amazing yes. for her, man. Oh, my gosh. The dedication to your craft yeah. and to believe that this is a movie worth doing it for uh-huh. speaks to the quality of script and the quality of actress yeah, absolutely. that she is. It's good moments. Because they're putting her through a boot camp. Mm-hmm. And what they do in boot camp is they're effectively removing some of your identity so that they can implant some of these ideas of being a soldier into you. Um, right? They, they shave your head. They take your clothes. And they shout at you. They, they destroy your sleep rhythms, um, your, the physicality of it all. Uh, and for her, I would say maybe she was even tortured by water, right, with the springs. I, I couldn't tell. I assumed it was hot water. Um, but it kind of calls back to me the water torture that Bush was doing in Guantanamo in a very different way. Uh, if you've never seen a video of water torture, I don't know, maybe don't because it's absolutely horrific. Um, and then what's amazing to me is when she gets her actual resolve, it comes from the story that she's reading someone else's story. She finds solace, sympathy, her resolve, her purpose. But what I find interesting about it is it's a story she hasn't experienced or identified with previously until they came for her. Yep. These things didn't really matter that, you know, the LGBT crowd was was being sought after that uh, religious minorities were being sought after and persecuted until they came for her. And that's always going to be the challenge with standing up to your government is it doesn't always necessarily matter until they come for you. Mm-hmm. And that's when you suddenly find out, Oh, you know, this, this thing that I should have, I recognized maybe it wasn't that great. Maybe I should have said something sooner because Thomas Paine has this, incredible quote and I'll, I'll post it. I'm not going to be able to pull it up fast enough, but the, the general idea is that protect the least protect the rights of man, because ultimately the, the very things that you allow to happen to your enemy are the path that it's going to create to come back to you. Yeah. And so in post nine 11, man, obviously we all know the story of where we were that day. And I'm not going to get into that, but we can also recall the emotionality behind it. We were very, very emotional. And no matter the topic, and this is going to be really hard to hear in light of modern day events, I don't think it's good to come from a place of emotion in order to create laws because it creates things like the Patriot Act. It creates things that ultimately are starting to sacrifice other people's life, uh, rights just because you don't agree with them or you don't see eye to eye. And it seems like the right thing to do at that point because lives are at stake. But lives are always at stake. And so it's always very tempting to use that emotion uh, politically in order to pass legislation that may, present day, may not seem that bad, but it may have long-term implications, Um, And which was certainly the case with the Patriot Act. And it became years and years, and it's finally started to kind of get watered down. But, for instance, President Obama came into power, and maybe if you're a Bush fanatic, maybe you didn't like President Obama. But you'd have to recognize all the power that Bush grabbed, he passed on to Obama. 
And Obama campaigned against a lot of these ideas. The Patriot Act specifically mm-hmm. was something that he he was very passionately against. Same thing with a lot of the wars that we had going overseas. And, and what did he do about the Patriot Act? Nothing. He Not re- a darn thing. No, he resigned it. It was an annual thing. Um, or maybe every four years, excuse me. It was resigned and renewed every four years. and Or maybe every two, I forget. But he resigned it. He kept putting it back into law and back into action, even though he campaigned against it. And so, because to him, and I think it's this way with pretty much everyone that comes into power and their followers, is that, oh, well, he's a good guy. You can trust him with it. But that's not the point. Thomas Paine, the point is what comes after that? What about the next guy? What about the next law that builds on this thing? And so... Evie finally got a taste when it was after the fact. The The time to stand up was always yesterday, but the next best time is now. Um, it's the old adage of when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next best time is right now. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't until she got a taste of that and before she got her resolve. And suddenly her fear was her cage is what everyone is what the the message of the moment was but if you take this macro view that I'm talking about her other cage was her ignorance and turning a blind eye to all the injustices but she didn't know that or maybe she just didn't care because she was afraid i mean at the at the heart of it still her fear is her cage um but potentially also these other things it wasn't until she got familiar with some of these things yeah so this was a time of talking and, and critiquing the Bush administration. But, I mean, if this was about Margaret Thatcher, then you can see that you can pick a decade yeah, and it'll apply. So the, a difference, I feel, between, you know, the government in, the, in this film and, say, today's mm-hmm. government is that the fear in that government was straight up fear of the government, but everybody felt the same way, right? So everybody yeah. that they show in the film was like, they were all scared of the government, but they knew it was that they were being oppressed, right? Or that their, their rights were being. I don't take, know. I don't know. I think, I mean, obviously, they were all, they would all laugh at, you know, at the making fun of the chancellor. Right. And any time that they would come on the that they would watch the news and the news would say, oh, you know, they oh, the 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 terrorist was shot and killed at the at the 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 TV station or whatever. And the little girl said, that's bollocks or whatever. True. No. Okay. No, that's true. I think, too, though, uh, there's the delineation between the citizenry that you're talking about, which I think you're absolutely right about. Then there's also the people working under the wing of the government. Right. Okay. But that's that's it, that's it part is. of the government. It's that's part of the, the government. government. It's part okay. of the le- and I'll talk about that in a minute because there's okay. some cool stuff they do. But the but the difference is like in today's society here in the U.S., you have a lot of people don't work for the government, but that are totally fine with the current administration and like it mm-hmm. and wanted it for another term. Um, and so the fear is not necessarily of just of the government now. It is of maybe, yes, some of the government, but not really. I feel like it's more fear of 
if you come out and you say that you're for Trump, what is the backlash online going to be, you know, or mm-hmm. what are, what is the backlash of your family, you know, or your friends going to be or vice versa, you know, um, if you say you're for, or you're, you're anti, anti Trump, it's more about, it's, I feel like it's more about the, the, not necessarily fear, but wanting to be part of that group of, of, yes, we're right and we're together, you know, instead of, you know, you have this whole other group of people, if, you know, 60% of the people are against Trump, 40% of the people are for Trump. So if you are for Trump, then 60% of the people hate you, you know, so it, we're completely divided. So that's a little difference uh, between the, the, the movie and now, but the same premise is, is still a beautiful statement which is why I like this film so much, which is, which is you have, you have something that people cannot take away. You have your ideals, you have your voice, you have something to stand up for. And if, if you don't, then you are, you are crapping on everything that every, every soldier that went before you, every, every, um, uh, every speech writer, every, uh, you know, like, like freedom fighter that went before you to fight for those, for you to be able to say these things. You know, we, we have this, this stuff going on with the NFL players kneeling. It is their right to do whatever they want to do. And we can sit here and we can say that's right or that's wrong, but that is their right. That is Colin Kaepernick's right to do whatever the hell he wants during the national anthem. You can say it's right or wrong, whatever but he's exercising that right. And whether I agree with him or not, I respect the fact that he's finding, finding, trying to put his voice out there in a way, in some way. Yeah. And, and not caring if, if somebody is saying, is somebody saying, screw that guy. You know, I mean, he he's not even playing football right now. Right. He, he lost his job for for standing up and, and doing something about something that he cared about, and that's a lot more than I even I can say about myself. Agreed. No, same here. I think, uh, yeah, I think there's a slight difference because I agree that it's his right, but it's also between him and his his business because that is a place of business technically. Even though in 2009 the government started paying to have players on field while the anthem and flag are playing. So that it's not technically as yes. non-governmental as people make it. But my point is that, uh, one, if the owners don't care or if his owner doesn't care um, of the team that he's playing for, then... But he's not... It, he is not... It's not interrupting his job. No. His job is playing football. It's not yeah. standing during the national anthem. Right. It's not interrupting his job. No. And, so is it, and, he, and by the way, people didn't even notice. I think he did it uh, two weeks before anyone even noticed. Um, uh, and they probably. noticed on like the third week. Yeah. And the cameras aren't normally even rolling during the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, they are now. They are now because it's a story and it's a, it's a hot button. But I will tie that idea back into the film in a way that, because you're right, where the world we're living in isn't exactly the the V Frenetta film, but there are echoes oh, of yeah. it, which was the whole point. Sometimes right. you know, sci-fi and 
and horror, specifically sci-fi and fantasy, um, or specifically sci-fi, is always a really great instrument of exploring ideas and themes and subtext because you get to create a whole world and kind of play out the extremes of some of these ideas. And that's all Viva Vendetta is doing is it's playing out the extreme by echoing something that's already happened in the past. Um, you know, World War II being the, the namesake. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole idea of being afraid of your government is very much why he's standing or kneeling. It, his argument is that there's no retribution for having violence acted upon you by the government. And those that would be police. Police are a, an arm of the government. They're the, the present uh, local arm of our government. If they want to come take your house, guess what? They're going to send cops. Um, if they, if you didn't pay your taxes, guess what? They're going to send cops. And if you refuse to go, they're going to take you by force one way or another, by bullet or by handcuff. Uh, it's not about what you want. It's about what the government wants to enact. And in his case, what he's discussing is the fact that sometimes police unjustly kill people, citizens, And there's no retribution because maybe we have a flawed legal justice system where to echo the watchman, like who watches the watchman? We don't have a very solid internal system of accountability when it comes to uh, police violence or at least suspected police violence. Even if you say, yeah, um, this one was okay, this was just, this was justified, then there should be a more robust system in place is the argument that he's making because some of these, there's just too many to say that statistically you can't be that right that often. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Things happen. Yeah. Um, There's got to be a better way. And so I don't think there's anything wrong either um, with kneeling in the anthem to call injustice to something that is taking place across America because it's an American problem. And the the cool but thing, the, the spin on it is that they just they they say it's about it's about the flag and it is about uh, you know our our troops, which it's very or- absolutely absolutely has nothing to do with it. No, he's never once mentioned the troops, and this goes back to uh, redirect or misdirection, calling mm-hmm. calling someone a terrorist that isn't actually a terrorist, um, and attributing things to someone that. They aren't actually doing. If you want to talk about what he's kneeling it, kneeling for, then then fine. But don't assert your own definition to what he's doing. I think there's a real legit conversation that can be had, but people don't want to have the conversation. Instead, they they deflect. Yeah. They project new meanings into the discussion as a as a method of avoidance, and that's really unfortunate. So to bring it back to the movie. What I mentioned before about the um, the fact that when you're watching this this quote unquote terrorist V because mm-hmm. he's a terrorist by in this film that's what he's called right so. that's what I mean that's what he's called that he's not but they call him a terrorist in this film so and I didn't realize until you read the synopsis that they used it I was going to bring it up but he is a freedom fighter that's mm-hmm. what you would technically call that our revolution right we weren't terrorists. Uh, because yes, ex- the American Revolution, the meaning. American Revolution, yes, yes. Uh, which is echoed throughout this film, 
through the use of the Overture of 1812, which I want to talk about in a minute. But they they were called freedom fighters, right? We were, we were revolting the yeah. the ideas of the time and our the monarchy over us, the powers that be, in order to grant us our independence. And so whenever you see V, what is he not doing? He's not taking it out against the citizens. Right. Which is largely what terrorism is about. It's about inflicting pain as a method of political pressure in order to achieve a political outcome or at least some idea, ideologue related mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. outcome. Uh, the, I, I won't say his name. I don't like saying names of terrorists or you know, mass shooters. But the idea behind the Charlottesville shooter that shot up that church, that was terrorism because he had an idea behind it. He wanted to start a race war. So that would be a terrorist. Um, and there's been the I don't to my knowledge, there was no terrorist plot behind the, the Newtown shooter um, of all those little children. Like, I don't think that was a terrorist act. I think that was just a, a, a madman, a mass murderer um, enacting his own crazy vengeance against someone. Um, and so there is a definition. There is a reason for that definition. And it's so that we can understand what's at stake and what's happening. And V was never doing that. Right. He was always trying to rally because that's what you want, right? You want the citizens on your side. Mm-hmm. And why would, why would he be killing them in order to do that if he needs them? Yeah. Well, he was killing, he was the, killing people, the people that... Government are, workers. That, yeah, yeah. That used to work for the government. Yes. Right. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. He had his hit list. Because that's what I mean. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and I thought it was interesting, too, because whenever he was going through the judgment of those people who all were directly tied to his creation through the, the torture and whatnot, um, most of them thought themselves still righteous and still okay in what they did and their actions. Um, you look at the Prothero, right? And he is killed. Uh, so he takes a shower and he thinks himself clean, right? Uh, and I, th- I thought it was really cool and symbolic of him being killed in the shower because he wasn't. He mm-hmm. isn't clean no matter how much he pretends to be or goes through the motions of looking clean. Like what he was doing on the air was preaching hate and violence and intolerance, um, which is a very non-Voltaire thing to do. And V kind of came in and wrecked his shop by killing him in the shower. It's very symbolic of what of truth in spite of your lies, as opposed to the, uh, the doctor, right. the lady. She was hoping to do good things, but is judged for what she did, not for what she hoped. And what I love... <laughs> uh, it gets me. He gave her a humane death. I think he recognized that. He gave her a very humane death. And she asks, you know, is it going to hurt? And he's like, it's already done. It's already happened. Yeah. And then she apologizes. And he, he, said, he said, she said, uh, is it too late to apologize? And he said, never. That's awesome. Oh, such a great moment. Oh. He, he recognized it, but it had to happen. It did. He had to, he had to do that. And yeah, it was a really, really great moment. And I love that. I love, um, 
I love that she she recognized all of that. Mm-hmm. She owned it, and she still accepted her responsibility, but still sought forgiveness. Really cool. And uh, her journal reveals all the Nazi-esque uh, experiments they tried on him mm-hmm. um, and minorities. And I think it's interesting that he walked out completely burned. He was born through fire, whereas Evie was born through water. Her rebirth happens through uh, her final moment is not only the water torture, but she walks out and she's cleansed in the rain. And it's a very different way than he had to go through because he got actual pains. He got actually tortured. And he has no eyes. And I think that's a a call back to Lady Liberty being blind. Right? Mm. Justice is blind. Yeah. Um, So there's some really strong symbolism that happens throughout the film for sure. Um, And... I also love that his house is filled with art and history because he appreciates uh, even the bad things, right? It's all a part of the beauty of of humanity and mankind. But specifically, it's interesting that the government was trying to take away literature, trying to take away art and history, and he was wrapped up in it. He saved every ounce of it, and it's beautiful. I think – so and one of my favorite parts is uh of the film there's so many of them but at the end where where everybody has the masks on and they all take them off um and you see so you see the individuals beneath that particular idea right but that also makes me think of we all have our own ideals whatever they might be and we all have these things that we're passionate about whatever they might be and big or small, they deserve to be pursued. They deserve to be, um, hashed out, hashed out. Yes. To the nth degree. Like, Mm -hmm. like if, if you are passionate about something, that is your thing. That is your mask. That is your ideal. You go all the way with it. You know, don't stop because you are afraid. And when Evie was, I guess, born reborn mm-hmm. all of a sudden she was unrecognizable to her other to the people that she knew before she was with v um she said she was in she dropped money in a store in in line and uh, her friend picked it up and handed it to her and her friend didn't even recognize her um that's who i feel like we should all strive to be we should all not necessarily you know looking different or even really being different but just taking that ideal and what would we do with it if we weren't afraid of what would happen if we were successful or not what you know whatever that is it deserves to be pursued and when everyone's taken off their masks at the end it's, and it's such a such a great so this is a, a piece of the directing that i really love so much when when they're uh when the what's his what's his i forgot his name but the the um the detective the detective is it finch? finch 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 when finch is talking about all the bad things that will happen the little that little girl gets shot right yeah. and you think that she got shot until at the end she's one of the people that takes off their mask and you know that really? she wasn't. Yeah. You didn't notice? No. Yeah. 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 
everybody you see in that film, including the, the, the lesbian women, the lesbian couple, they're all in there. They take off their masks and they're in the crowd. And it's just, it's just a moment. It's just like everybody has their little quarter second of taking their mask off. So you've got to pay attention. But in that, they're honored in that moment. They're honored in that moment. Absolutely. And it's, it's such, that's, that harkens to not just the writing. I mean, maybe it was in the writing, but just in the directing of, of, of you feel like all those bad things happened that that guy, the finger man actually shot the little girl and those, all the, the crowd of people came coming up, beat the crap out of them, but it didn't happen. She well, was actually alive. No, no, no. I th- or maybe she did. It did it happen, happened, but, but it served she, a purpose. Oh, yeah. It yeah. served its purpose yeah, because yeah. they're honored in that moment. Um, and it wasn't in vain. Right. Right. And then the couple that was killed, the lesbian couple that was yeah. killed too is in there too. Wow. Um, so it's it's a really beautiful moment. I think the detective is really cool because he's kind of our liaison. Um, he's standing in for us, the citizens, yeah. as he's figuring out the truth and that and that he's being lied to by other gov government bosses. Um, right? He ins- he finds out a chemical attack that was blamed on a religious extremist was his own government because that was the whole excuse for the the current style of government was it was all because religious extremists carried out an attack um and that's something that people kind of refer to as a false flag attack uh the government said this other government or this other group of people did a thing but it was really that government doing it in order to enact their own things i've heard uh that was effectively what happened with Vietnam. I haven't personally done enough research into it to understand exactly what actually happened there, but it's, it's been known to happen throughout history. And it's really cool just to see him kind of go through all that process of figuring out what is patriotism really? That's a really good question, actually, because if it exists and I'm not even sure that it does, because it's, it's such a concept, it's such an idea, but it has to be more than just agreeing with everything your government says and does. You can, I, in fact, maybe the exact opposite. He says in the film, if our own government was responsible for the death of 100,000 people, would you really want to know? Right? Because that was what he was talking about. The original attack blamed on Muslims uh, is what they're hinting at was actually done by his own government and he kind of cuts off all the recorders, everything. He pulls his, his partner aside and he's like, I got to ask you something, man. And this is weighing on mm-hmm. me. Would you really want to know if this was the truth? And that's the question I think this film is ultimately asking. It's, it's the question and answer that it's giving us. Would you really want to know? And would you do anything about it? And in this world they do. Um, because, he ultimately finds the the solution can't just be him. He can't do it. And he ultimately gives that power over to Evie. And he's like, I didn't realize this was what I needed to do, but it is. I can't usher in this new period. But if it's going to happen, it has to be by you. And I love that he kept his mask on because revolutions don't need a face. We don't need George Washington. Yeah. We don't need Ben Franklin or Thomas Jefferson. We need their ideas and the idea of personal liberty and freedom. And I, yeah, I think that's such a beautiful sentiment that he carried to its very end, even though the temptation was always there to 
to reach out and be personal with Evie. He had higher goals in mind. But also thought it was interesting in the research that the overture of 1812 is constantly used throughout the film. And yeah. <laughs> what I find interesting about that is it was originally written in 1880 by Tchaikovsky, and it became one of his most famous works. But it was written about Russia's defense against France in 1812. <laughs> it wasn't written for us, but it's it's commonly used and associated with uh, Independence Day, U.S. Independence Day, because I think because the Star Spangled Banner was written about the War of 1812, where British ships um, bombarded Fort McHenry in Baltimore. It was a skirmish that stemmed from uh, the Britain blockading uh, France due to the Napoleonic Wars, which the U.S. contested as illegal under international law. Um, blockades are basically what we now refer to as sanctions, right? Uh, and people don't see sanctions as, as evil because there is no ships surrounding your harbors and preventing goods from passing. But they are. That's literally what we do to countries like Iran and Cuba um, and now North Korea. Um, we're very symbolically surrounding their harbors with ships. And for us, it was so serious that we went to war with Britain over it. And it wasn't even our harbors. <laughs> we wanted to trade with France. Um, and it sparked, it sparked a war. But I think that's why it became, it kind of gets confused. The, the, the War of 1812 is a little different from the Napoleonic Wars that were happening in Russia uh, against you know, Napoleon <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, in France. And so the other reason is probably because there's cannon fire. <laughs> What's more American than cannon. With, with artillery? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but it's just a beautiful, it's, it's a great piece of art. I mean, it's an amazing work of art that is cross-cultural and, and it transcends any one particular moment mm -hmm. uh, because it is so, so beautiful. Um, and exciting and invigorating. Yeah. And it was one of the first things I remember playing uh, in junior high. In sixth grade, we were playing that for, you know, the Christmas thing. And What'd was, you play? I was a trumpet, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, baby. Trumpet's hard to play. It is. I loved it. I was That's cool. I was really good at it. I had terrible tone quality, but I could sight read uh, the mathematical quality of music. I was very, very good at and I remember playing the the Overture of 1812 for the first time. And if you've never played trumpet <laughs> on this song, you go crazy at the end. But there's also these rests. There's like a 26-measure rest. And that can be intimidating to because you have to keep counting that oh, whole right. time. Yeah. And it's, you know, one, two, three, four, two, 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 three. You know, and you're yeah. just counting off every single measure. And... After 26 measures as an 11-year-old, <laughs> all the rest of the trumpets were like, I lost count. And I was like, nope, I'm ready. And, you know, the Mr. I, our band teacher, one of my childhood heroes, uh, cut everybody off. I was like, no, no, you're right. You're right, everybody. <laughs> Don't forget to count. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but it's such an amazing piece of music, and I understand yeah. why it kind of gets uh, – feathered into you know independence day and mm -hmm. as an american touchstone yeah even though it isn't <laughs> well if even if it's written for a different war or a different battle mm -hmm. it can still the sentiment 
can yeah. still be the same. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And we just stole it. Yeah. We, we, steal, a lot. we steal a lot of things. We're good at it. We're good at it. Yeah, yeah. Call it our own. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, just in closing, I, I, I know that everybody is, uh, some people might be polarized a little bit on this discussion. Yeah. But I just want to, I just want to come back and just say that, that, um, we're just speaking about, you know, not necessarily what, how we feel politically about things, but just how this film has made us think, mm-hmm. po- um, politically speaking. Right, and trying you know. to give context to the time that it was created, because that's important. Yeah. This was made in 2005. If it was made in 2010, it would take a whole different tone and political points. Uh, it right. would be different, for sure. Right. But it, a work of art in its time deserves context i think yeah point being bottom line is is you have your voice yeah now it's now it's your job to get over that fear of failing or succeeding and go out and and use it because the world deserves it you know i love it it's it's such a powerful thing i love movies that do that they they leave me wanting to to go make a mark and and be missed i don't necessarily need to be remembered but mm-hmm. being missed is way more important and um if i just sit down i do nothing i have no ideals i don't stand up for for what i think for what i believe i don't i don't voice my opinion on things i feel are important then you know i just kind of fade away and that it, Absolutely, because the thing that I really love about this film is it kind of points out the the tyranny of not listening to an to an opposing thought. Yeah, the yeah. government will not stand for dissension. Yeah, you're not allowed to dissent, and to do so is to risk your very life, mm-hmm. um, and more than likely forfeit it. And so the even as you know, I love everything you're saying. I completely agree with it. I also just want to add. Don't forget to listen, to actively listen. Don't just sit there and think, what am I going to say in response? Say, does oh, this man. person have yeah. a point? Because yes. that's what's really missing. We are divided. Mm-hmm. And even if it's 60-40 or, uh, or 70-30, um, mm-hmm. based on uh, approval ratings of our current administration, <laughs> and those traditionally do go down. They don't usually start this low, but um, it, it's an indication of the way people are feeling and thinking. But even if you're in that 70% and you're like, you know, that, that 30% is, is stupid and, and thoughtless, maybe don't be so quick because it's easy to sometimes say, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, you might brush just because someone is attached to, to an idea or an ideology doesn't mean everything they have to say is wrong or bad or doesn't deserve contemplation. Absolutely. My, my father is one of the most brilliant men I know. You know, but he he is a Trump supporter, and we've I I I need to work on my acceptance <laughs> and listening. But at the same, you know, at the same time, like I don't respect him or love him any less. Yeah. You know, like and and he has great points about a lot of things that I absolutely listen to and and regard his opinion as the highest in the land. So again. 
it yeah. comes back to logic. His logic tells him that this is the this is what he needs to support. My logic tells me otherwise. So when you watch this film, logically ask yourself why are you supporting this this guy who's dissenting from the government? I love that. And to and to do something as extreme as blow up a building and say I'm going to do it in a year on this day and do it. Like they, what would move you? Oh to, man, yeah. absolutely. You know, and why? And what would bring? What would be so important to you that you would want to be one of those faces in the crowd with a mask on when it happens, in support of it? Yes. You know, instead of instead of being at home watching it on TV, or you know, just because you know you're scared of what the government's going to do, or what any. A person, another person who disagrees with you is going to do or say, you know, like, are you going to be one of those faces supporting it in the crowd? Or are you going to be, you know, just a bystander watching? It's a moving film. It is. And then, and you know, you, you think back on, I'll just, I'll say this. I know we could talk all night. <laughs> yeah. You think back on the civil rights movement and that was breaking the law back then. You talked uh, earlier about not making laws because based on emotion. Mo- so many of those laws were made on emotion, on the uh, the ideal that some men are worth more than others, and then and we you don't want to th- feel uh, that they're equal to us, right? Right, and then you have these people. I.e. Martin Luther King, I.e. Malcolm X, and then everyone who supported them rising up, breaking the law because of an ideal, because of a belief that they are equal. Not any better, but equal. Would anybody now, I mean, (laughs) I know there are some people, (laughs) but would most people, I believe most people today would say, would say that I would totally support someone breaking the law because of that. Or maybe they wouldn't say that they support them breaking the law, but they would support that movement at least. So we watch this film, maybe take that into, into account of, of even if we're not breaking the law, we are, we are voicing our opinion. We are kneeling during the national anthem. We are, we are, we are choosing not to, not to give the government or, 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 someone something that we don't have to just because they tell us to i love that yeah just because it's a law doesn't make it moral right right law and morality are not the same thing right they're supposed to be that's the idea behind it right yeah it's supposed to protect my rights as a human being as a as an american citizen and your rights as an american citizen anything that i do that infringes upon your rights should be the thing that breaks the law. Right. I mean, there's a really great quote from Bastiat that I'll end my side here. Um, Life, liberty, and property do not exist because men have made laws. On the contrary, it was the fact that life, liberty, and property existed beforehand that caused laws to be made. You know, that's... Wow. Yeah. It's very poignant because it it goes back to the very idea that you were talking about earlier of uh, government should be afraid of their people because they're there to serve us. We're not there to serve them. Right. The whole point is to protect its citizens. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. I'm off my soapbox. Yeah, same here. I hope we still have listeners and friends. After this. I tried my best to, to just remain factual and, and not get too caught up. I don't think I succeeded, but... I know I didn't. <laughs> but the point is, even if you disagree with everything we said or some point in particular, that's okay. I don't mind. I don't mind dissent and thoughtful disagreement. Um, what we do mind is, you know ad hominem attacks and uh, pejoratives standing in for logic and reasoning. That's, that's not useful discussion. Those so, are big words, man. Yeah. It's midnight. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So do you have a recommendation for the week? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, I've been, I've been uh, kind of diving into this. <laughs> I saw, I saw, um, I saw this on, Nick Kroll was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and he they, he did a, a new series, a new animated series with Netflix called Big Mouth, and so I've been kind of diving into it a little bit. It is filthy as hell. It is it is super filthy. It's the it's the filthiest uh, um, cartoon I've ever watched, but it's. Real, it's really well done, and it makes me remember what it was like to be, you know, to go through puberty and be awkward and like, like it's, it was such a scary, horrible, and yet beautiful time. And it's really good at doing that and being funny at the same time. That's awesome. Uh, There's a hormone monster in it. It's so good. Yeah. My buddy Steven sent me a uh, clip of it. Uh, it was like a little forty-second tangent of a discussion about divorce. It was just freaking hysterical. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty raw. It's pretty funny. I'm definitely going to check that out then. Uh, my recommendation is another film by the Wachowskis called Cloud Atlas. Oh, yeah. I really love that film, and I think there's a lot of things, there's a lot of warts on it, a uh, bit of a pun intended there, that I don't mind just because, once again, thematically, they're tackling something that at the time it came out, it was very, very personal to me. Um, it's, it has a very humanist message that I think is worth watching. And a lot of their work has a has a very humanist message, I think. Um, but, yeah, so Cloud Atlas, I'll be putting trailers to both of those things, Big Mouth and Cloud Atlas, on the website, along with a ton of links and articles that we touched on and discussed you can get all of that at thepestlepodcast.com slash V for Vendetta. Don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Um, and just leave us a note if you want us to tackle something. Next week, we're going to be doing a special request by Kat, Katya. Um, she asked that we do La La Land. Nice. So we'll be doing that I need next. to watch that again anyway. Yeah, that's, that's a good. great reason to. Thank you for that request. Absolutely. Um, it's on HBO right now, actually. So Perfect. We can stream it. Yeah. And the week after, I think we're going to be having a special guest. Oh, okay. Very exciting. Yes. <laughs> I know. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. All right. Great. All right. So we're going to leave you with a quote of the day. Uh, this one's by George Orwell. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Uh, such a that's a great quote for this yeah good choice here thank you i don't have anything to add to that. i don't think we need to add anything to it that's just beautiful thanks for listening guys i know i know this was a, a little departure i mean it's unlike us but we just had 
it had to go down this rabbit hole yeah. uh, when w- with a film like V for Vendetta. So, uh, all right. Well, until next week, uh, we're going to sign off. This is Todd. This is Wes. Go watch the movies, guys. Mm-hmm.